0: What's up, y'all? Dave Stovall here, and you're listening to the Disciple Makers podcast brought to you by discipleship.org. Today, we're going to be hearing from Doug Burrier of Sustainable Discipleship as he talks with us about the things that work, things that don't work, and also the why behind it all. Have you ever wondered which group is best for making disciples? Is it the the gender-specific group, or is it the larger group with mixed genders in there? Doug really brings to light today that you can harness the power of that sort of one-on-one discipling relationship within the large group by assessing each person's personality and sort of like how they learn best. So I found this episode to be super helpful. So let's jump in and hear from Doug from Sustainable Discipleship. Enjoy the episode. All right, so how many were here last time?
1: Anybody not here last time? Okay, let me tell you this works. You're the star of the show. This is all about you. We flipped our breakouts. You get to ask your questions at any point. You get to ask them first. If you want to know something about me, ask it. So the, it, we're going to do your stuff first because I always drives me nuts when I'm in the middle of a thing and I never get my questions answered. Um, and, and the only other thing I ask of you is that we stay on topic it's cool let's go grind some axes at lunch over coffee but just grind your axe about whatever we're talking about okay cool anybody have any questions to start off right and I have to repeat these questions so you all remind me so what's an example of your flex structure oh my inflexibility structure yeah inflexibility structure I'm going to get to that on item number four any others questions (laughs) Okay, last night you told your husband we have no carrots.
0: Um, So my question is, how do you go from spending a large percent of your time dealing with sheep to dealing with the
1: lost? Okay, so the question is, how do you go from spending a lot of time dealing with the sheep to dealing with the lost and moving forward? I think my answer would be, am I allowed to be a little unedited? This is who I am. Um, Somebody said yesterday, I really enjoyed the thing, but I didn't know what you were saying, what was going to come out of your mouth next, and it seemed a little like chaos. Welcome to Doug. So if if you need to hone it down, it's okay. Okay, I just get excited, and I love the Lord, and I'm trying to give you answers. So what I would say is this. um, It sounds like what you're saying is, how do I take a church that has stayed in its ways, or dead, I mean, not yours, but ours was, how do you take a church that's like that and all you're doing is take care of the sheep? And I would, you asked me, you kind of started to ask this question before, and I said, it's not even that you're taking care of the sheep, it's just that you're shoveling sheep poop, <laughs> right? Because they don't even want you to take care of them, they want you to take care of their stuff. And drama and all this just takes so much out of us. So here's my answer. You, uh, A great friend of mine is a DE agent. And he's always telling me, Doug, Doug, you're wasting your time. Big old. I said, okay, what? What do you want me to do? Vegas says to me, this is what I tell you if we're in Puerto Rico, brother invest in your racehorses, not your donkeys. Not exactly how he said it. (laughs) So it's not that you don't love people, it's that you issue the message that's like, I love you and everything else, but the first thing I'm going to do is make disciples. I will invest. Can everybody hear? By the way, yeah. okay. So I'm going to try to save my voice. We got three of these today. Um, you invest in your race horses. You don't have to neglect these people, but you set up your own boundaries too, right? So race horses get fed first. That's it. And you start making disciples, and you hope that you get some of those old guys and gals because it's hard. And you be compassionate. Because it's hard when you're 70 to change. We are all going to become our parents. It's hard to change when you're older. It just is. That's just life. We can say it should be better. And if we're all super godly, they would. So you start making disciples with whoever you can, because that's what God told you to do. And you be gracious to these people. And, And I'm saying this because I've destroyed a church. By doing discipleship, some will leave. Love them. Don't talk bad about them. Don't do anything. Just love them. Put them on a prayer list. Have no bitterness in your heart and love them. Because they are God's children, probably nine times out of ten. But they are casualties of us. They're our fault. They're our fault. We are the ones who have propagated a system of programs. We are the ones who propagated a system of voting. No offense if you do that. I don't care how you do congregational government, but you go find because I'm just a discipleship dude. Find a time in the Bible when the people voted and it turned out good. We're the people who cater to them because we're afraid they'll leave. One of my favorite pastors, good friend of mine, Marcus Avalos, Seguin, Texas, says this. I am not, he'll say, He says it every Sunday. Let's be clear. I am not interested in retaining you. I'm interested in growing you. There are plenty of fish in the sea. It's amazing. So, but, but we got to realize the, these are our casualties. We did this. Let's own that with some grace and then believe in them. Because I'm here to tell you, you can turn a church without killing people. God is bigger than the boogeyman. To quote, veggie tales. Yes. And so, so don't, don't see them as your enemy. See them as lost. So you want to know how you start reaching the lost instead of the lambs. Lambs that are lost are lost. And you got to get a David and Goliath mentality, which is, my God is bigger than this shame. And be honest and own it too. Because don't we own it? Like Everything we've done to this point, we own. Correct? Or our heritage. Cool. Any other questions? Where do you find the forty-seven week Bible reading plan? You can okay. That is a very specific hi carrot. That's a very specific question. You go to sustainable. (laughs) Can I take you guys home with me? All right. Where do you find the forty seven week Bible reading plan? The answer is you can't. Because the tool will actually let you put in any number of weeks. So he's referring to this. We use a 48-week Bible reading plan. Everybody goes cover to cover. Um, there was another question about how this works in Latin America and other places. There are adjustments to the method. Just, but But you don't have to worry about adjusting culture, right? All we're trying to do is become disciple-making superheroes. Go use real life. Go use anything. Pick your thing. You could be in any part of the country, big, small church, anything. Because all we're gonna do is become disciple-making superheroes, and then we could just be inside where our culture is. So you don't have to justice us for culture, because you live in your culture, so just be you. Does, does that make sense? Just just be you. So we go cover to cover in the Bible. I would say if you're gonna get that 90-95%, that's what you need to do. You need to trust them. We're gonna talk about that in the next the last session. How we do that, and it's amazing that they just, after three weeks, they're like, oh, let me read. You don't have to beg them to read Leviticus, nothing, okay? Mm -hmm. So you find that at sustainable-hyphen, what do I say, dash, discipleship.com slash resources. And it is the last item on the bottom left. I know that because we have to do everything ourselves, including building our web pages, Because we got no capital because we're not running a business. All right. Any others? 48 weeks is awesome. It gives you four weeks of slack. Holidays, accidents, people get behind. Okay, you ready to go? Welcome to Boy Meet Girls. We titled this this way because we are a bit of a disruptor in this space only because we didn't intend to be, it's just as we test things, as we do research, we started being challenged. We are just like you, right? Everybody was like one-on-one, mentorship, small group dudes with dudes girls with girls right the whole thing so so it's not that we set out to be countercultural it's just what the data shows and so this boy meets girl thing is just a really good hook because we found that we could increase our effectiveness by 3% you're like really dude we're at 90 to 95 we can only measure in single digits now and, but, but what was amazing to us was not that we got a 3% bump in people retaining, it was that it actually worked. And it was by accident. Half of our stuff we've fallen into, half of our stuff, what we have too many people to make disciples, too many people who want discipleship and not enough of us. So we were like, well, what are you going to do, Doug? And Doug was like, give them to me. Let's see if this works. And it became the best group ever. So Tim and I were like, well, we should try this again and actually do it with some intent. So we did, and we did it again and again and again. So guys and girls together actually works. I get it. It shouldn't, but it does. Because we aren't running accountability groups. Because we're not running counseling groups. We're doing what Jesus did. We're making disciples. So, in that group, what we're trying to do is get people to be exponentially more mature. Does that make sense? So, when you got in life, you have to live with boys and girls. In the body of Christ, there are boys and girls. And I think I mentioned this yesterday. You just watch men as their whole. Mind gets blown by the way a woman perceives the word of God. And women here are like, I would have never read that that way. And there's a power. We call it crumbs from the table. The the way we do disciples, we're going to tell you this right up front. is just, it's crumbs from the table. Remember to premise this all on what Jesus did. Jesus was intentionally making disciples. That's it. He was not trying to grow pastors. He was not trying to, you know, whatever. He was just like you want. You just want to make disciples. And so that's what he did. And he allowed the word to cleanse, the spirit to sanctify and wash people. And that will happen, especially when they become accountable to God, because I just want you to know something. God is way scarier than you are. So if you get them accountable to God and get that concept in their mind, God can say things, right? Right. Like today, this morning, God held me accountable. I was standing in front of my full-length hotel mirror. (laughs) I didn't have a shirt on yet. And I was like, dude, you need to stop traveling and eating like garbage. And so I was like, when I get home, I'm going to start running again. That's an emotional decision. And most of the conviction that you will deliver to people Will only result in emotions which means how long does that last until i have to travel to indiana or ohio right however when my doctor told me i had diabetes and i was going to lose feet if i didn't stop eating sugar that was 18 years ago and i haven't had sugar since that is a value-based decision i like my feet <laughs> Does that make sense? Okay. So when we're in these groups, when, when you're in these groups and you start looking, if you just open yourself up and go just look at data, you'll find all kinds of crazy stuff. Crumbs from the table is a powerful, powerful truth. Crumbs from the table. As you're learning something and I'm sitting there, I never interact with you. We're going to talk about that in a minute. That's what makes a powerful group. It's not a group. Did you get that? So the most powerful group is not a group. It's a bunch of individuals sitting in a room because you're not the same as you and you. And I can't disciple you the same way. So I have to figure out in a group how to deal with you as an individual and you we will give you three tricks, Pooh, change it. So as you observe something and you go, hey, this is what God told me. He's sitting there and the crumbs fall off the, the table. table and they get down there and the Holy Spirit. So now what we have is exponential learning going on. I'm not just learning me, I'm learning from you. The reason this doesn't normally work is because groups get out of control, right? You go, well, I learned this. I don't know, what'd you learn? Uh, You learned that you shouldn't eat pork, okay? And I go, is that really in the Bible? Like, what was your verse? And you, because you're so nice, like you're way gracious to me, decide that I'm picking on her. So you need to defend her. And you say, well, wait, wait a minute, you know, but she's allowed to perceive the word of, right? And you guys have all heard this stuff, right? And the group goes where? You get it, right? Cool. So let's just remember what Jesus was doing. Jesus was trying to intentionally take people from zero to maturity as fast as he could because he knew he was checking out. You heard me say this. We'll talk about it in the final session. We'll talk about it all the time. We don't even measure success until they can stand on their own. Nothing's success if they can't get out of the house. They can't get out of the high chair. Okay? Good? Questions? You're allowed to do that. So when you're talking about groups, are you saying all groups? Because, like, we have life groups, and they're mixed. And then we have discipleship groups, and those are dudes with dudes, ladies. And that's where you get guys opening up and going, I'm really struggling with this or that. It's a great question. He said, am I talking about all groups? Because they have life groups and they have guy groups and hunting groups and lady groups. And this is where people open up. I am not talking about all the groups on the planet. No, I'm only talking about groups that are meeting specifically to do formal exponential discipleship. You can do discipleship in all those groups and you should. But for me, discipleship is Jesus said, come follow me. And I go, yeah. And and it's three years of intense discipleship. It's not based on common preferences, anything, and it's work. All day long, it's work. So, yes, D groups, indie groups, that's what I'm talking about. There are times for gender-based groups, age, but there are just times. And life groups, I love. So don't, if you're thinking about, you, how many people are in bigger churches, you got life groups? Do not stop them. That is your farm league. That is your farm league. Do not mess with something that's working. That is your farm league. You just have to begin to get your life group leaders in discipleship. You don't even have to tell them to promote because after they finish one year of discipleship, they'll be like, what? And they'll bleed off. And the next round of discipleship, those people will be going, We're leaving you. I want what you got. Are you following me? Like, Jesus doesn't need promotion. When the Holy Spirit transforms people, people see it. So don't get rid of your life groups. If you're big, don't mess with what's working, unless it's unbiblical. But don't mess with it. Yeah.
0: So you were saying you measured success by they had to get results. That means starting another group, starting a discipleship
1: group. That's your measure of success. No. He asked, he asked... Is our measure of success them starting another group? If you're looking at me going, Doug, what's wrong with you? It's because in my brain, I want to say, yes, no. If you aren't making disciples, you haven't caught it. Which means it really isn't a success. But but I'm not going to measure it that way. That measure is like a sub-measure for me of you standing on your own. Does that make sense? Here's our measure. My best friend in discipleship hates the word fades. Don't judge me. If you're an English major, help us. Your success in disciple making is measured by how many disciples continue to follow God for the right reasons and navigate the unknowns long after your influence fades. In other words, they don't need you anymore. But part of following Jesus would be what? Making disciples. I know we want to multiply. I know that's last year's big thing. This year's is another thing. We always have catchphrases because we're Christians, right? <laughs> Something to put on the billboard. Um, and you don't want to just add, you got to multiply. We're going exponential. <sighs> okay, good. So so what I, I know, I'm bad. Okay, so there needs to be a way to like mute this. I'm going to get in trouble with the guys. Okay, so listen, but but the point is, is that if you, if, you're, if you stink and you multiply, you just make stinky. So, so we have to have that multiplication is a natural part of this. Yep. Multiplication is a natural part of this, but it, it, it can't be the sole measure. Okay? You can't make people follow Christ. You can't make them make disciples. You just can't. The only way you're accountable is if you don't make disciples. Does that help? Any others? Wait, (laughs) I promise you'll get your three. Yes, sir. Genius. And this is how you get a powerhouse going. Oh, yes. The question was, you're saying basically the ones who can stand under one should be the ones that we really want multiplying. And the answer to that is yes. So I come out of the business world. I own a software company. I designed this crazy software called Word Bloom. It's, in it's like fourth beta. One day I'll finish it. It wins all kinds of awards and stuff. It's my baby. Who in here is an IT person? Awesome. I don't know you, so you don't get to run my company. I uh, worked on the board of directors for a multi-billion dollar bank. We did not go up to you and go, hey, you just got out of grad school. Want to run our bank? Yet we take the most valuable resource on the planet, which is human beings. And we give them to people because we say, I can make you a disciple maker in six months. I wouldn't let you raise my children. Like we need to see this as a serious value thing, right? So the solution is not to prevent people from making disciples. That's a really bad model, right? That's what most of our mission models are. You got to jump through a bunch of hoops before you can go out. One of my best friends changed his mission model to being, I'm going to assume God told you to go out. I'm going to help you get there until you screw it up. It's just a little mind trick. But the point is, is what I need to do is make them well. Then I don't have to worry about it. They can just go. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, cool. Was there anything else? Do you like this reverse verse? And y'all, are, is anybody OCD and you're panicking because you're not going to get your fork? <laughs> do you tell them up front it's three years? No, I don't tell them up front it's three years. That'd be the worst marketing move ever. You're right. I don't tell them anything. I'm evil. I don't tell them anything. What do I tell them up front? What's the question? I tell them nothing. I just go, hey, listen, this has changed Of Because we have like nine generations now, so I go, look how cool they are. But even at the beginning, I was just like, you want to go try this? I just really laid back. Like if you live in Oregon, California, New Mexico, that's your approach. Hey, or if you're in South Alabama, hey, hold my beer. You know, I just, just come on guys, let's go. Right? Let's just go. And then they ask and I go, we're going to read the Bible cover to cover. And they're like, oh, I go, "Ah." thousands of people have done this and love it. If you don't love it in three weeks, I'll take you to dinner. This is my approach. Because in three weeks, I can take any one of your people. I promise you. And I can make them read that Bible the rest of the year without you saying a word. I promise you. We got numbers to back it up, but that's not the point. By the way, we don't measure things so we can go, we got 95%. We actually do it the other way. Re- you know why we measure? Because when we slip from 95, Tim, what happens? There's like this alarm from some sci-fi movie goes off. Boop, boop. Because when we slip from 95%, we want to know what we broke. And guess what? It's always something We broke and we want to get it fixed. So we're not measuring to brag. We're measuring to maintain. That's what you do in business. Your metrics aren't so you can brag. Your metrics are to make sure what? That Bob in accounting didn't screw something up. And and humans mess up. God stop all the time, right? Anything else? All the OCD people happy? Number one, we're going to, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to embrace variety. We're going to embrace variety. God made everybody different. I am a dude. I have dude stuff. I'm short. I'm probably somewhere on either some brilliance (laughs) or insanity scale. Insane. Um, You know, I'm an ambivert. Do you know what that is? It's a weird kind of dinosaur. Now, an ambivert is somebody who can't decide whether they're an introvert or an extrovert. There are times I need to be alone. Last night I hid in my room and watched some movie where they blew up the world. On the way home, Keith is going to ask me, is he here? (laughs) Keith is going to ask me to ride with him, but the rule is going to be, you can't talk to me unless I talk to you. That's total introvert. Any introverts in the room? Okay, You cannot disciple an introvert the way you do an extrovert. I can't look at an introvert and say, hey, answer this question, right? Like, don't, I just did it. And you're like, stop it! <laughs> My wife is an introvert. Introverts recharge alone. They process internally. You have to give them time. This is why one size doesn't fit. This is why a lot of times programs don't work. It's because we don't understand humans. They didn't teach us this stuff in seminary, guys. They just didn't teach it to us, right? So then there's extroverts, which is what you see right now. And everybody assumes this is me. But when this is over, I'll go in the chapel and look at Jamie and I'll go, Oh, Jamie, I blew it every time. I'm an ambivert. I'm totally confused. It's very, stop laughing. (laughs) It's so, it is so important that you understand God's variety young, old, everything. And so you should do, our next church we're planning, by the way, we have this model of 150 and then you go more. If you want to know that model, that is in no breakout session. So you should just email me because it's the coolest thing. It's the most powerful number nation globally, the church that produces the most. Wait, if you get a big church, disband. No, we there's actually people who have done great engineering on how to work the 150 inside something big. But So you have this idea that we have to look at everybody and we have to look at them as individuals. Programs don't work. Things, you just have to look at them. So you've got to embrace it. God's plan for his kingdom is the body of Christ. And he did not, it's not a bunch of hands. Oh, I was going to tell you what church we're starting. It's called Introvert Church. That's our next launch. A church entirely designed. Our third launch, I haven't one everybody over in this yet, is going to be called 55 plus active. No nursery. No
0: nursery.
1: <laughs> You're like, that's shameless. Yes. And then we'll just win them over to liking kids again. See, all the 55 plus people are like, yeah, we did our time. <laughs> you have to reach people where that. There's times to put people in pods. Okay, but when it comes to discipleship in the body of Christ, you have hands and feet and elbows. You have all of these different things. You have introverts, extroverts. Um, let me ask a couple of questions. Who is okay if I ask you a question? Well, yeah, oh, you good? So are you are you lead or follow? If you had to pick one of those words, do you lead or do you follow? So can I be an ambivert on this, but I'm a leader. But um, you want to be a lolo? I'm a leader. You're a lead, so you lead. So naturally, if something needs to be done, you just step up and you start getting it done. How many leaders do we have in the room? How many followers? Okay, I can't go there. I wish that everybody raised their hand for follower. I hope before you were a leader, you were a great follower. I love that you're leaders. <clears throat> You need to know that because the way that you disciple a leader is different than the way. How many of you are stay versus go? Stay versus go. Stays. Raise your hand. You get what I'm saying? Like, so like, here's the big opportunity out there. I'm totally stay. Being here, most uncomfortable thing in the world for me. You want to know about sacrifice or doing something following God right here? Because, dude, I just like, you know, I like my Elmo to be on the same shelf I like my dogs. My wife is so pretty and awesome. And I like my church. And so we're going to do the pathway next time. I'm stuck between 13 and 14 on the pathway. I'm pretty certain I would follow him if he said go. I don't want to sell my house. Get it? That's stay. Go is like this. And I go, hey, who wants to come work for me? Where's Carrot? Who wants to go work for me? And Carrot goes, hey, I'll think about that. That's go. How many goes do we have in the room? World needs more goers. That's that verse that says white harvest, go thing. I get it. Okay. It's, I get it. And the rest of you are stay people. It's okay. But you need to know that when you're discipling people. Let me show you a tool that we use. This tool is a tool that after I, I, I can disciple people with my eyes closed. I don't read the books they read anymore. I just, just go, right? I still fill out one of these for every person I disciple. When I start throughout the year, and then I pass it off to the next person who's going to disciple them. The very first things are this. Are they introvert, extrovert, ambivert, go, send, lead, follow, tell or listen? Oh, tell people, hard to disciple. Visual, auditory, or both? Do you guys know what I mean by that? Do you realize that discipling somebody who is a visual learner is an entirely different process? They don't teach us this stuff. We we say we know it, but when, when you actually look at this group, this is my group, and I can figure out your auditory, you're an introvert, you're an extrovert, this shapes the way I interact with you. You're still consuming God's word, but if you're an introvert, right, and you're a stay person, and I can start leaning on you, you're done. I've destroyed the work of God. That is the workmanship of God. However, if he's an extrovert, He can take a kick in the pants. Greg's an expert. Greg's one of my first, second, third generation disciples. And Greg was like, I just don't have time to read. I'm a corporate executive. Uh, So can I I tell you, this is me. Don't try this at home. Feel free to edit this out now. (laughs) I looked at Greg in front of the whole group and said, hey, did you go poop this week? And he said, yeah. That's awesome. I said, did you eat? He said, yeah. Did you kiss your wife? Yeah. And Greg smoked. I said, did you go on the back porch and have a smoke? Yeah. You got time. You just don't care about God. Next highlight. That's discipleship too. We built some trust. If I did that to you, you'd be like going home. What's your husband's name? Chris. And she'd be like, Chris, you got to go kill him. (laughs) Do you see why why boxes, programs don't work? The material may work. All we're talking about here is the method by which you become a disciple-making superhero, which means you connect with those people, that whole variety of God's people, because they are individuals. They are not your tribe. They are not your disciples. They are God's creation. And I got to walk with you different than I have to walk with you. Does that make sense? Where do you get this? You talk to Jamie in the back of the room because she knows everything. This is not on the resource page yet. We, we didn't put this on a resource page. We need to correct that. It's yeah. So yeah, Jamie can get you some. All right, as always, anything you hear here, we have our what? Freebie guarantee. Have you seen our cool little picture? It's a freebie guarantee. If you can support, it just costs money to make stuff. If you can do that, fine. But if not, we just trust God. God, so everything we have is yours because we're really not in a business at all. So we use this. It asks, I ask the question every time, first year disciple, why are you in discipleship? He's he's like, no, don't do this to me. I was really, why are you in discipleship? Huh? To learn to to be like Christ. So if you were in my group, please forgive me. I'm Doug, and I'm really a nice person. But if you're in my group, I would say, okay, well, you don't need to be in my discipleship group because I can't teach you that. Not anyway, then. No, I'd win you over. <laughs> do you get it, though? But, like, you want to ask why they're in discipleship because you get to know them. If they say, because I want to I, I learn more what God wants me to do. I want to know His will is. Well, God's will is that all people be saved. Are you saved? Yes, you've achieved God's will. Get out of my class. <laughs> And it just rattle them. But the point is, what you're trying to do is listen for what's their heart, because no one comes to God unless God, say it, draws them, which means they're being drawn by God and you want to know what God's doing in their life, not what you're going to do. This is a powerful question. Why are you in discipleship? Even if they're wrong, you know where to start. We never ask this. We don't, we don't. And it's just method, right? It's just method. You can do this inside big church, little church. Use any material you want. We're talking about my end goal is the people sitting behind you in the pews. That's, that's our end goal. Full, abundant lives for those people. So we got to look, treat them as individuals. Does that make sense? I'm never going to kick anybody out of my, I'm not, I'm a nice person. Um, the question was, what would be the right answer for me not kick out of my group? Number one, I have never lost anybody on day one. I have lost people. Not two, you're evil. No, um, no, I actually, this is, if I could do anything, I would just make disciples all day because I've got a craft of this, like, like my record's like way up there and, and I do track my numbers. They're like, they, we put them on the website. I still want to take them down, but everybody's like, people need to know you're actually making disciples. Right? Does that make sense? But, but that's important to me that we don't lose them. There is no wrong. I'm pushing back because by the end of your first session with me, we've not looked at the Bible. I'm secretly assessing you. I'm trying to figure out where you are on the pathway. That's our next session. And I'm telling you, it's so important. I'm trying to figure out where you are. So I know how to pray for you and I know how to interact with you when you come back next week. So I'm trying to get them to this answer. If, what's your husband's name? Alan. Alan. If Alan, if you looked at Alan and said, Alan, why did you marry me? And he was like, cause I want you to do my laundry and I want you to cook and you're really pretty and you encourage me and, uh, and you tell me what to do. You would be like, dude. I ain't your mom. We approach discipleship relationships. Most people, we just want God to hand it all to us. What God wants to do is be in a relationship with you. So I'm trying to get them to the answer of, I want to be closer to God. I want to follow him. The only way to do that is to be in relationship with him. Tim, what? Less than 20% are ever given an answer close to that because nobody knows what discipleship is. We, we don't we do not do that. So does that make sense? Does that? Yes. Okay. Right. And he's right. I mean.
0: I knew that. You just
1: did. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: did? It's all right. Come on up here. You can teach. Let's go. No, I want home. No. So seriously, it is. So it's not, you got to tape me with a grain of salt. You can't be me. We have all our disciples makers do things differently, but you still have to get them the same point whether you do it. You just got to be you. I'm just a little disruptive. So we're going to embrace the variety of all these people. We're going to look at them as individuals. We're going to figure out who they are. And no, I'm not giving you everything because there's just not all the time. There's a book about this. You can come to a workshop. You go to coffee. Come visit me. Stay at my house. I don't care. But can't do everything. Two. Ready? Two. So we're going to embrace the variety. And now we're going to disciple individuals and groups. This will go quicker because we've already kind of laid this foundation through your questions. When you're in a group, you are a human, you are a human, and you are human. I'm never going to talk to all three of you. I'm going to talk to you. And you're like, that doesn't sound like a group. Exactly. So I just want to challenge you. Most of our group models for discipleship have left us wanting. All of us have been there. That's why we're here. That's why I came here. That's why you came here, because we're trying to up our game. So just be open to the fact that a traditional small group model is great for one thing, but it's not really great for discipleship. And look at what Jesus did. Jesus did what? When you look at variety, Jesus had a wackadoo set of disciples, right? And when you look at group size, what did he do? He discipled people individually, but sometimes they're in a group of 70, sometimes in a group of 100, sometimes in a group of three, sometimes it was one-on-one, sometimes they were wrong, sometimes they were right. You get it? But he always treated them as individuals. He knew them. So when you're in a group, you need to get the mentality that all the people in your group are individuals. And so there's things that you can do to make this work. Okay? Make this work. By the way, are we still doing this? We had, he was sitting right there. What's his, remind me his name? Will. Will. Heard that we were going to do a Um, mock group, so people can see how this actually works. We can do that in 40 minutes. We'll give you three minutes of prep time in 40 minutes, and this is what we do at the beginning of every workshop, and people go, oh, I can do that. So Will is trying to put together a mock group. We told me i had to have at least 12 people. I don't know why. Because, I don't know, why did we say 12? I have no idea. Anyway, he wants to do that during lunch. So I have no idea where it's happening. Tim and Will, and they know... It may be here, I don't know. But if you want to take part, you can see kind of how all this goes. we but, make that a fishbowl that more, if more people are there, we can sit around and watch? Yeah. Yeah. And is lunch on you? Yes. Oh, what? Yeah, <laughs> I've, I, dude, I will pull my credit card out and feed every one of you if I can infect you. Because it does work. We didn't invent it. It works. Whatever I got to do, I'll, I'll wash your car. So making groups work, when you have them in the groups, the first thing that we're going to do is to protect this individual discipleship. We're going to protect individual discipleship. Did you get no notes for embracing variety? Because I just trashed it, didn't I? You get the idea, right? God's body of Christ, broad, everybody's different. Embrace it, love it. Don't look down on people. Old with young, young with, mix it up. I'm going back to Embrace for because I want to tell you, we open discipleship up to every single human being. We do not pick our own groups. It's a terrible way to set up discipleship to pick your group because you're going to pick people who are like you. So we once a year advertise for two months. Anybody who wants in discipleship inside our church, outside our church, from your church, doesn't matter. They go in a pool. And the middle of January, we have draft day. It's like football. We get together. We get on our face and pray. We have big whiteboards. We know the leaders who are available, the people. We pray, and we've, we've already assessed them secretly. So we mix it up. We make sure there's introverts with extroverts and old people with young people and loud people with quiet people. And does that make sense? And that's, by the way, you say, but Doug, no. All of this stuff piles together to get the 90 to 95. But it's not us, it's the body of Christ. All we're doing is leveraging God's design for the church and instead of undesigning it because we don't think it'll work. Does that make sense? Okay, so when we talk about protecting individual discipleship, um, so we're going to protect individual discipleship. I'll break that down in a second. We're going to alternate group membership. You ready? So you are never going to be in the same group unless I have to. Why? Because we're trying to fight cliques. No, because I'm not against anything. What I'm trying to do is make my church bulletproof. And it's not cliques I'm trying to avoid. Discipleship will kill cliques. What I want is for you to be exposed to the broadest variety of people so that you can encounter the body of Christ, all the wisdom of Christ, the creation of Christ. You're going to get more truths. Get it? One-on-one discipleship. What? One of the least effective ways to do discipleship because we have a whole world to win. But it's even worse because one-on-one discipleship leads to groupism. But that's not even the real detriment to one-on-one discipleship is there's no crumbs falling off the table. If I have 12 people in discipleship group and we're going over your verse, everybody's exponentially learning. Holy Spirit's just dumping truth on them. Maybe they use it today, maybe they don't, but they're hearing it. Because the room is quiet, because we're not doing food, not doing accountability, and everybody's listening. Because when you and I start talking, I'm protecting individual discipleship. And if you start to talk, what am I going to say? Well, me, I'm going to go, shut up. <laughs> but you shouldn't do that. You should be much nicer, right? But you're going to go, hey, come on, group. Get it? Okay, good. So, But I'm going to alternate group membership so that you guys get exposed to the massive beauty of Christ and all that he created. And then I'm going to strategically design groups. Kind of talked about this already. I am going to design these groups in such a way that they are totally mishmash. Scholars with whatever, do not, whatever you do. You want a couple do nots just for fun? Never, never, ever take a bunch of pastors and put them in a discipleship group. Never. Never, never. Not until you are bulletproof. Yeah, sir. So we, so our model method. It's really not a model. The, the way we apply this method in our church, we got these numbers, is we cycle once a year. You're in discipleship for about 50 weeks on a 48-week reading plan. You get about a, two weeks to a month off, and then we start again. Get it? So it's not just, and it's not just membership. We don't even want you have the same leader ever again. Now, if you're saying, how do I ramp this up? We're, we're really good at helping you ramp up. We have to break some rules when we ramp up but we can get you there. If you want help starting this in your church and like, well, I only have two leaders. We can do that. But you're talking about once you get going, variety, variety, variety. So, okay. So yeah. All right. Good. We got a second to do this. Do I, am I supposed to end at 845 or what? Okay. So what you want to know is what nine generations mean. Does that mean they've been in discipleship for nine years or whatever? So our church is nine generations deep. What that means is, what that means is, I took, I discipled the first generation. That's a generation. They ended up moving through three years of discipleship. They're still functioning. They are generation one. I and Amber made generation two because we didn't have leaders. They went through three years. They're functioning. So it's nine discrete generations, okay? The ninth generation right now, some of them are in discipleship their first year, some are in discipleship their second year, some are in their third. So each, you get it? So there's actually way more than nine because everyone's got like three levels. So it's like 27 real distinct generations we have. But what we say is we're nine years into this. We're nine generations and each one of those is discrete. And everybody who's past generation two is making disciples without us asking them to, they are begging us to find people for them to disciple. And when we don't have enough, we send them to their workplace and they recruit people from work. We don't ever, we, our church doesn't take offerings and we don't, ha- we don't beg you to serve and you don't have to because they, they see their transformation. And by the time they get two years in, there are people are like, I want to do this. And they go, come on, let's go. Does that help? So, when we're talking about protecting individual discipleship, let me just dive in here for just one second. We only have one more, which is how to run a group, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> you ready? Protecting individual discipleship, we do a couple things. Just part. No crosstalk. That means when I'm talking to you, nobody else is talking. And nobody else comments. You go, but wait a minute, what if they highlight it and you don't know what I mean by highlight it, but it's how we study the, it's how we read the word of God? Okay, so what if he highlighted the same thing as her? Don't they both get to talk? No. So if she highlighted it and she goes, I highlighted this part because it was really cool. And we go, did anybody else in the room have that? And he goes, I had that. And we go, do you have anything new or is it the same truth? Same truth, move on. But even if it is this, it's different, whatever you say, nobody speaks into. It was in a group, wonderful disciple. She was growing in the Lord. Some other disciple was reading about an um, evil woman who... Uh, her name starts with a J. What is she? Jezebel. Yeah, Jezebel. She's saying, I just didn't realize this existed. It was my aha. Other girl goes, oh, it's a mixed group. Goes, oh my gosh, I'm Jezebel. I looked at her and I said, sure. She said, absolutely. I've destroyed my husband's life. I said, okay. So what are you going to do about that? And this woman over here said, now you go. And I said, uh-uh. See, God's working right here. I say this harsh. You all got into discipleship because you wanted to be discipled. So none of you are qualified to disciple each other. They probably really are, but you get the idea. No crosstalk. I'm discipling 12 individuals at the same time. This is how you control your group. No outside conversations. You two are married, married, married. Okay, good. So you two are married. If you're in my discipleship group, you never talk about discipleship outside discipleship. What's the number one rule of fight club? You don't talk about fight club. Here's why. I'm the guy who's discipling both of you. God is. I'm the guy walking you there, right? I want your ahas to be handled by me and the Holy Spirit real time. If you tell him the story, by the time you get there, I'm only going to get half the story of what God did in your life. Does that make sense? So no outside conversations. You can talk about anything after we've talked about it, but talk about nothing before we have Well, you just think you're the cat's meow, Doug, don't you? No, I think the Holy Spirit is, and we've tested this. And when you shut all this down, and the interaction happens between the Holy Spirit and them with a qualified guide, poof, awesome. It still works here, but just not as well. Cool? Cool. Everyone shares every highlight, so we're going to talk about the last session. Where we teach you a Bible method that works with the humans are designed. It's a highlighting system, so everybody shares every highlight. No short changes. If I catch you not sharing, I'm going to say to you, "Did you not highlight anything?" And you're going to look at me, and I'm going to go, "No, it's okay. I just did. God not show you anything?" And I'm going to try to encourage you. But if you highlighted something you didn't share, I'm going to go, "Uh, uh-uh. no, 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 John, you have to share." And that's and that's hard for introverts. He's gonna be good. Got it? Okay. These are the th- these are three of the things, the three main things we're gonna to do to protect individual discipleship. I'm gonna to go to how to run a group. I wanna hit this beforehand. I can catch you up. There's a whole chapter in the white book on optimizing groups and on running groups, but but at this, I just let me go here in case we run out of time. Can we do that? You don't have any slides, I don't think. I don't do you? think so. Yeah. Great. How to run a group. Number one, inflexible agenda. Inflexible. Unflexible cannot be flexed. Does not change. But you don't understand. My dog got run over by a reindeer. I need to talk about it. That's awesome. Um, So we're going to be in this for about 90 minutes. And we'll hang out. We're going to pray for your dog and the reindeer. Inflexible. You say, why inflexible? Because boundaries work, because rigid works, because we're trying to get something done. This is not a dinner party. It's not a life group. Life groups are great, but this is not a life group. Here's our standard agenda. You want the inside track? Five minutes for prayer. Five minutes for prayer. Everybody, I don't care if you have 20 people, five minutes. The first time they pray, well, God, I want to thank you for the day. I'm going to say, stop. (laughs) We don't have time for that. God knows that you're thankful for the day. It's okay. You should be thankful. Don't get mad at me. I asked you to pray for one thing you need. You got. why would you be that way? Because I'm going to use that five minutes. By the way, that five minutes, it takes in a group of 12, two and a half minutes to get through their prayers. If all they pray is the one thing you tell them to pray. What am I trying to teach them? Man, you should be aware of your, your life. So we have strategic things each week we're asking to pray, and it just jostles their brain. Like if I told you right now, Jesus walks in a room, he's got a lamp, he says, rub the lamp, you can have whatever you want. How many of you would know what you want? So we, we, we don't, we have not, cause we ask not. Do you see every piece of our meeting, every piece, every moment is driving back to scripture the way Jesus did by application? Five minutes for prayer, 55 minutes to cover the Bible. Our Bible reading plan, sir, you asked, is based because I have an engineer up here, not on pages, chapters, anything. It's based on words. Remember, I said it's different if you have somebody who's a visual learner versus a. If you, if I try to listen to the Bible, we're done. Can you imagine me trying to listen to anything and stay focused? I have to see stuff. Tim can't read. Well, I mean, he can. He just reads really. That <laughs> is true. He reads very slow. So Tim almost quit discipleship too. I put our group on pause for three weeks, told him, you gotta figure this out. And we finally figured it out. Tim would listen to you version while looking at his Bible. He rocked. Solved the problem. Then everybody was like, well, we'll listen to the Bible too in our truck. And then we had to kill that because we broke that. So we just tell him, you don't know listening to the Bible unless you're looking at it and highlighting at the same time. This whole, I'll listen to my Bible in the truck. Yeah, that's real focus, right? Okay, so we... We tried it, we broke it. I would suggest, submit to you that you not do it. It doesn't work, okay? All right, so everyone shares every highlight all the time and you have five minutes of prayer, 55 minutes of going over these highlights. If you don't get done, where do you start next week? No, if you start where you left off, they're gonna feel like underachievers who can never get it. So you just start with wherever you were supposed to start for that week, but we don't cover that. Maybe not. (laughs) We did what we had time to do. Dude, you do not need to set people up to feel like failures because let me tell you something. How many people in this room at some point this month have felt like a failure? It's just brain science. What we do is we try to go quick the next week and we go, hey, what did we miss last week? See how gentle? What did we miss last week? And we go back. And they ever have any idea what we're doing. We're trying to relieve pressure off them and get the word of God in them. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's the last session. Okay, cool. All right. All right. How did you, you need to lead? How many people have read, dude, I have six minutes. How many people have read the book Six Thinking Hats by Edward De Bono? See, this is the problem with ministry. No, listen. God has taught a lot of genius people in the business world, in the science world, the psychology world, biblical principles. And Edward DeBona wrote them down. I don't think he believes in Jesus at all, but you need to read the book. Six Thinking Hats. There's a red hat, which is emotion. This will totally change how you run a group. All of a sudden you go, I don't like the way you're pressuring me. And I say to you, hey, are you wearing the red hat? And she says, yeah. And I go, go for it. I'm not going to take any of this personal. In other words, you're just... Need to blurt. Go. The black hat is critical thinking hat. This is what you use with everybody who thinks they know everything. <laughs> You'll go, "Hey, are you wearing the black hat? Like you're just tearing this thing apart?" Yeah. Okay. We're not going to do that. Get another hat. See how you just frame the dynamic. You got the green hat, which is creative thinking. <coughs> In One, people go, "Well, I think it means." You know what we do? Uh-uh-uh-uh. All we're trying. You tell me what you know. Don't tell me anything you think. Thinking's for your too. Tell me what you know. What does it say? Well, it says that they gave three shekels for whatever, and a shekel is a, eh. How does that transform your life? A shekel never did anything. In fact, we call it shackled by shekels. We've turned people into just geniuses with zero transformation. So we just, we got them. Are you guys with me here? So white hat, white hat's like data. How many data geeks? They're okay. All right, enough data. How is God going to transform you? The hat you need to wear is the blue hat. It is the control hat. I put that hat on at the beginning of the meeting by doing two things as a decision scientist. What were they? I told you this was your meeting. I set you free. I gave you privilege to ask your questions. I submitted myself to you because what you need to know is more important than what I need to tell you. And then I cemented the blue hat by saying what? But we're not going to grind axes. Never let anybody steal your blue hat even if you have to get rough, because your group will go where? You need to lead. If you don't know how to be an effective disciple maker, there are people like us and other great people who will help you figure it out, but you need to figure it out before you start. You don't have to know the whole Bible, you don't have to do anything, but you need to lead. That group needs a leader, and if you gotta fake it, fake it. But you need to lead. You need to control that meeting, because you're trying to carry them somewhere. I wish we could go straight into the next session because there's a 14-step pathway. Once you know that, you know exactly where you're taking them and you are responsible to get them there. Wait, the Holy Spirit transforms them. Yeah, and you're the hands and feet that push. You get it? So you need to lead. You absolutely need to lead. Tim's looking at me like, we're out. Hey, how about this? Don't talk too much. This is not your discipleship. This ain't about you and what you know. Don't even teach. Let the Holy Spirit do it. You'll have to bump them now and then and go, shekels, useless, whatever. We you can teach you all that, but don't talk a whole lot. This is their time. It's their discipleship. Use Socratic questions. It's actually Jesus' questions. So Socrates got credit for it. Jesus always asks these really great questions. So what do you think about that? <laughs> Because you need them to interact with God and the Bible to come up with the answer. You don't need to answer. Management by questions is the strongest management model. Drucker, all of them just repeat it in different ways. Management by questions says when you come in my office, I say, well, how could we improve this? Instead of saying, you stink. So just ask them questions. They say, I highlighted this. You say, why'd you highlight it? I don't know. Well, what's cool about it? Just guiding them to get it. Cool. And then finally, I would say you need to absolutely in your group, when you're running your group, so you have 55 minutes, you're doing this. The last 35 minutes for us in America, in the U.S., this won't work in Latin America, is to take that last 25 minutes or so. And we cover what we call extra biblical resources. We have an entire library. What are we up to? 80 of them. Hand-picked, hand-curated books that have topics and important things. We've identified over 12 years, there are certain points where people need certain vitamins. Search for significance. Anybody know that one? We inject search for significance in between week 13 and 20 of year one. All of them. We use some controversial books. The Shack. We leverage The Shack. We know there's seven pages of really bad theology. We know it really rattles people. He's not a Christian, whatever. That's what we use it for. We use it to rattle them. And we teach theology through it. So th- you can get that library at sustainablediscipleship.com. It's all there. We tell how we use them, why we use them, everything. So as you're going through, I'm going to go, hey, everybody get good to great. Let's read it. That's all I'm going to say. You're going to come back in and go, well, what did God teach you? And they're going to go, is that the Bible? What am I trying to do? I'm trying to teach them how to take their faith into the real world. How to see God in trees and business. All of them have a purpose. So we do that the last 25 minutes. All right. We got a few minutes for your questions. I'm so sorry. We can't be exhausted. we get this all done. This is probably why it's a three-day workshop. Optimal sizes and genders. The most effective group in the broadest number of settings is one leader to three. The next most powerful group is one to nine to 12. One with nine or 12. In the nine or twelve, mixed gender. Nine dudes or nine girls together, twelve doesn't work. It, it gets totally funked out, like they get distracted. But if you put guys and girls together in a group of twelve, it'll rock. We never you are you guys right? You good? We never use, just based on our data, we never use a mixed group unless we have to in discipleship two. Discipleship two, they've already piled a bunch of discrete truths up, right? <laughs> In the second year of discipleship, you'll find out if you get here for the last one or just listen to recording, we get them to start connecting those truths. As they connect those truths, they have these moments where God starts to really dig deep in their personal life. Even though we're not running accountability groups, there are just things in year two that the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is going to dig out of them that are uncomfortable. So we always use gender-specific groups, one to three, if we can do it, one to six, no more gender-specific in year two. In year three, you can, nothing. We, we can do gender, big, small, whatever. Year three, they're all in. It doesn't matter what you do. It's all the same success rate. Yes, sir. Long as you protect individual discipleship, you just have to say, don't talk about Fight Club unless we're at Fight Club. Yeah. So nitty gritty, starting in November. Oh, the question was, so our church promotes t- two months ahead of the start so nitty-gritty is in november we start saying hey no, know a lot of you guys heard about discipleship you probably heard somebody else change your life we're shameless this is what we do and if you don't do formal discipleship we're still going to cheat and disciple you on mission trips life groups everything but if you want to go exponential in your growth we got you want to go get this quicker because i know you want to get it like every one of us came here we want to get it right guys you see good marketing right pitch and we just pitch 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 and all they have to do is fill out a card and drop it in that's all they have to do uh, two weeks before draft day, two weeks before draft day, we have an information meeting trying to catch anybody who didn't turn in a card and trying to give people a chance to take their card out. So we just get together. It's like a 20 minute thing. They go, let them ask their questions. Oh, do we have hazing? Yeah, oh, no, we don't haze. You know, whatever it is. No, people don't trust the church, guys. It's for real. Like you need to do this. So we do an information meeting and then we have draft day. Um, we have other models. where in churches that like, market their groups. We have a model for that. Yeah, I've done one, only one. Just want you to do this for me one year. They can take a year. Just, I just want you to do this with me for a year. Cause that's really, you know, that's it. We do not use covenant cards. You already heard me say that at session one. They actually teach them to be accountable to you instead of to God. Just don't do it. It's bad modeling. Any other questions? Everybody's like, we gotta get out of here and go to the main session. Yeah. It's just not an option. Okay. Yeah. Hey, I don't even know. I, what, what do you do if people don't want to pray out loud? It's just not an option. I coach them. I love them. I do the same thing I was saying to do with the, her older people. Maybe you don't want to do this. I mean, I just wrap You just wrap your arms around them. The other
0: thing to prayer is that we give them a very specific way to pray. And so it's less than I have to come up with something. So that prayer is usually for most of the groups start. What's one thing you need if Jesus walk through the door right now? When you do that, they know where they're going, and that gets rid of most of
1: that. Yeah. And you encourage them. Great prayer. Yeah, the, so... <laughs> this is Tim. No, so what Tim said, Tim is like on our right hand, guys. He's one of the guys, if you ever work with us and you need a coach, he'll be... He's genius at it. Um, so, but... Uh, the question was kind of, what do you do if they don't want to pray out loud? And then Tim was saying, we give them such a very simple thing to pray that they do it. It's really like it's and they get there. You just assume they'll do it. When do you we did not slow them down intentionally, but they did because people found more value in discipleship than the 800 programs. The question was, did we when do we meet and do we stop things? And the, the answer is we didn't stop them intentionally. They stopped naturally. A lot of them. Our groups meet whenever they want, wherever they want. It's up to the leader. Yeah, a lot of you, I will say this, this question you start in January, February. A lot of his groups break in the summer. I want to tell you uh, don't break, you just go every week because people work best in routine. If you stop it, it will never work.
0: You want to hear something amazing? This morning as I was sitting down drinking my coffee in a rare moment where I woke up before my three kids, um, I was reading my Bible and I was in prayer. And one of the things that I prayed for was God give me clarity on what to do this summer with my small group, because usually we take breaks for the summer and we're going through a really important study right now in our church. It's a book called Resilient by David Young. And I just kind of feel like we need to be unpacking this stuff as a group and not kind of move forward without talking about it. And so I prayed this morning, God, please give me clarity on what I'm supposed to do with my group this summer. (laughs) Literally the last words of this episode that I was editing today as I sat down to work were that do not take a break. You need routine. People work best under routine. It's never going to really catch on if you take breaks all the time. So that's my answer, like it or not, I think that's how God works and that's the way he speaks to me. So I share that with you to encourage you um, to ask God on what to do if you're stuck. And if you don't know how to lead, if you don't know how to move forward, God cares about these things because they are powerful. These are powerful spaces where people actually learn to let the words of scripture transform their lives. You know, one of the things that Doug said in this episode was, we've turned people into biblical geniuses with zero transformation. That's not what I want. When I was full of knowledge, man, I was just thinking about God. But once I finally started letting Him transform my life, I started to become obedient and my faith became alive and was set on fire and I want that for people too and I know that you do alright next up we got two more episodes from Sustainable Discipleship so make sure you stick around for those and I hope that you enjoy the rest of your day we'll see you next time